Shalom, everybody. Welcome to today's edition of um, uh, uh, Personal Salvation Testimony, How Jesus Saved Me. And today's guest uh, with us today, her name is Winifred, uh, and she is going to share with us how uh, she became a born-again believer in Jesus and um, how she received salvation. So we're just going to welcome her. We're going to bring her in now to the stream. It's live. We're going to bring her into the stream and welcome her. So one second now, and I'll just bring her into the stream. Hi, Winnie. Hi, Shalom. Shalom. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. Good. So we're talking to Winnie and she is in Texas. Is that right? Yes, I'm in Dallas, Texas. Yes. Dallas, Texas. Well, I just like to say that, you know, we actually met in Dallas, Texas, and um, we were in an auditorium, uh, a prophets conference, Cindy Jacobs prophets conference. And um, we were, I was sitting in the seats and it was, um, you know, the, we were towards the back and it was very dark and Winnie kind of just uh, jumped in. Uh, it was suddenly appeared and said to me, do you mind if I sit beside you? And I was like, sure. And then we hung around for the rest of the conference. So we it had good amazing. fun. <laughs> it was amazing. God just orchestrated it. He did. And you celebrated your birthday at it. Yes. You know what? It's funny because um, that that weekend was my birthday. And I had to say, until I met you, no one had called me. Oh. And that encounter that I had with you, I remember we went to Chick-fil-A because that's where you wanted to eat. And when we got that food, you just said like a prophetic prayer over my life. And you didn't even, you didn't even know it was my birthday, but you found out that moment and that just changed my life. And oh. also you gave me your ticket, which was like the best birthday lesson that I've ever had you give me a ticket to receive a prophetic word and I still do have that prophetic word recorded and I'll never forget that so Aww. I'm just like so grateful that God orchestrated it that way yeah I'm so glad to have spent time with you and you looked after me so well in Texas and it, I have this special part in my heart for Texas definitely it's a great place I love it <laughs> you're always welcome back here thanks <laughs> Yeah, and likewise to Ireland. Um, what was I going to say to you? Just speak as close to the mic as you can, because you're a little bit low there on the sound. But um, so, Winnie, tell me a little bit about yourself. So, um, so I was originally born in Ghana. My ah. parents are Ghanaian. Uh, it's in West Africa. Yeah. Um, so um, I was, you know, giving birth to in Ghana and was raised part of my life, my early um, stages in life. I was raised in Ghana with my two other sisters. Um, so on my mother's side, I am uh, the second child of three girls. And then on my father's side, I am the third child of three girls. Okay. Um, so we're all family of girls. So you can just imagine the drama we grew up, you know, yeah. <laughs> in the family. But um, my early stages in life, um, I pretty much like with my two sisters, I was the one that grew up with my mother. Okay. My other two sisters were in, so we were in, um, we weren't in the central region in Ghana. We weren't in the capital. We were in a different um, city that my mom at that point was doing, um, was in nursing school. So she was doing her nursing school residency. And um, so she just had to take care of me. And my other, my older sister and my younger sister, they were sent off to my auntie in another city. Um, more of a village type. So they grew up partly with my aunt. But so I never, I thought like growing up, I thought that I was, you know, in my early stages, I literally thought that I was an only child 
conceited me. I thought I was the only child. (laughs) But every now and then I would have my two sisters come to the city that I'm in to visit. And there would always be a fight. Like, why are you here? Like, you know, until I actually came to understand that, oh, there are my, um, my siblings. And so the reason why my mom kept me in the big city was because I was, um, born with a, 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 a disease called sickle cell disease. And it's a genetic disease that affects my, um, blood counts and, um, kind of like prevents me to take in oxygen. And so because of that, it causes a lot of pain crisis. Mm-hmm. And so it's been a disease that I've had to live with all my life. So because of that, my mom felt that I needed the medical attention um, for her to like keep an eye on me. And since she was already in the medical field, it would be best for me to stay with her while she, you know, she was still doing um, school. Yeah. So that was the early part of my life. But um all the way between uh, from childhood to like eight years old, I used to get sick a lot. Um, I was literally almost always in the hospital. Mm. And I consider myself um, as a miracle child. And I think my mom considered me as a miracle child as well, because um, death rate in um, Ghana with uh, or in Africa in general with uh, people with sickle cell at that age was, you know, very high. A lot of children didn't live past a certain age. Um, But um, I just thought that it was a a blessing of God in my life and a favor of God in my life that I survived those um, times. So it wasn't until I believe I was like eight years old that my mother had an invitation to come to, um, to the United States. Um, at this point, my dad was not, my dad was in our life, but because of his work, nature of work, he used to travel a lot. So um, my dad was never like, I never really grew up in a home where there was a mother and a, and a father together with all the family. No, my dad was always traveling due to work. So if I, when I saw him, he had just returned from, you know, one of his travels. Um, so I always knew as daddy was not here, daddy was gone for work that type of thing. Mm -hmm. But um, at some point when my mother received the invitation to come to the United States, um, my mother decided to actually take me to the other city where my other two sisters were Mm -hmm. to join my auntie, um, uh, uh, to be under the care of my auntie, which is my mother's oldest sister. Mm -hmm. So um, at that point I went and um, I think my mom had lied to me. I didn't know where my mom was going, but all I knew was I got dropped off and then I didn't see my mom again. Wow. So um, for me personally, it was a lot of adjustment. One, to how to live in a new environment. Yeah. Um, I had already developed, um, just being with my mom, I had already developed a mindset that, you know, I was very outspoken as a child. And there had been several times that my mom had literally stand up, you know, standing for me um, to defend me and like, be my defense in a way that my mom would sometimes come to my school like when kids would when kids were like when I would get in trouble or like you know I'll fight with someone my mom will come to my school and like talk to the teachers and just be like look my daughter is sick I don't need you guys to do anything that would hurt her and stuff like that and so this is a, 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 a situation that when I joined my sisters and my aunt it was a new environment for me that I had to navigate wow um and where was that where was your so this was also in ghana but Uh, about four hours away from 
the original city that I lived in. Um, and then my mom just departed to the U.S. Okay. Um, so as a kid, I just always thought that my mom was coming back for me because they hid it from me because I was very close to my mother. Mm-hmm. So I, I remember, all I remember was we went to this house. My mom had her suitcase. And the next morning I woke up and my mom was not there. So I'm thinking, oh, okay, maybe I'm, I'm spending a vacation with them. And then at some point my mom will come get me. Yeah. And that kept going. And then at some point it hit me. No, my mom is not coming back. Right. Wow. Um, so now I had to go through major adjustment with my other two sisters whom I love. <laughs> um, but um, we were all at this point, we all, you know, came under the care of my um, my aunt, which is my mom's oldest um, sister. My younger sister, on the um, actually, she's uh, two years younger than me. She actually didn't have that motherly figure in her life so my mom wasn't actually there because my aunt took her at an early early stage of her life um the story was that when she was born there was farming uh uh, you know shortage of shortage of food in that area so but my aunt wherever she lived because it was a village setting and they grew their own food and all that so she had a lot of surplus and so my other two sisters just went you know with her and then i stayed with my mother so my younger sister actually grew up thinking that my aunt was her mom. Wow. Okay. So it's right. Exactly. So, and then I joined in, but I knew that my mom was somewhere else. Um, but then this is, this is also like what culture, it has to do with culture. Um, although we were living with my aunt, we were not calling her auntie. We were calling her mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so um, pretty much when I went to that environment, it became a new adjustment with school, with my sisters. And then that was also my grandfather's home. So they grew up, actually, my grandfather and my my grandmother, they grew up as Catholics. So my whole family grew up as Catholic. My mother, um, my mother grew up as Anglican. Um, And so when I joined them, they were very active in the Catholic church. So I also became, um, you know, very active in the Catholic Church at a younger age. And I have to say, um, I have to give credit to the Catholic Church in a way because I was um, super active. And I, at an early stage, I, I started reading the Bible. So for the children's services, they mm-hmm. would um, let me read the Bible, um, both in English and in our local language. Wow. So I did go through a period where I would have someone tutor me on how to read our language for the children's services Mm. so i would have to say uh you know just give credit to the my early beginnings to the catholic um, church and the and so i went through the period of first communion and confirmation and and baptism um but it was honestly was a routine for me like i didn't really attach much importance to it but because we were involved in what was called i believe the children of mary um, so we were like, you know, the little mayor kids that would always do the um, Christmas plays and the Easter plays, you know. Um, so I was, my sisters and I were heavily involved in that. But one thing that I saw in at that stage of my life was we all, me, including my sisters, used church as an escape. Okay. Because at home, we did a lot of chores. And okay. I'm talking about chores like waking up at 4 a.m., and doing uh-huh. chores, um, like anywhere from baking our own bread to like processing our own oil and all that stuff. So we did a lot of chores at the house, um, domestic chores, but at the same time we had school. 
So there was really like no time to play. And if you wanted to watch TV, you had to complete everything. So mm -hmm. going to church was an escape. Okay. Going to the Catholic church was an escape for us. Like every time there was a program, I was there. Yeah. I will find every reason to be there because I can see no I can totally see that as a child. No, <laughs> no one wants to be home to do chores. And I wasn't I wasn't gonna take on that responsibility. Yeah. But you know, um, I have to give um thanks to God because God um just started working with me um all this time too. I was getting sick a lot, like literally almost every two months or so, I'll be sick and I'll be in a hospital. Um so in the church and in the neighborhood, I was definitely known as the sick child. Uh, and um, there's the label was a sickler. So like, even when my like, kids will play in, you know, our neighborhood, I was always excluded from playing. So if it, either when it came to like playing soccer on the street or running, or I was always like being yelled at, Winnie, stop, you can't do this. You can't do, you can't do that. You know, you're going to fall sick. And it was always, that was the language that, you know, I grew up always hearing. Mm. And sure enough, every time I would do any sort of strenuous activity, um, just having fun as a kid, I would get sick. So I always felt myself separated from oh. all the other kids. Um, but I also, in a way, now when I look back, I'm like, well, you know, it's a setup for, for God. Um, so um, during that times when I would get sick, one thing that comforted me very much was worshiping so when i would get sick i'm usually isolated from everyone not that i'm infectious but like just to give me time to heal because i'll be in a lot of pain and i'll be in a lot of tears mm -hmm. but in those early ages i remember that when i would fall sick i would just sing and i would sing like worship music um to a point that majority of the neighbors you know in our in our community because we lived in a community style home would know when I'm sick because they would hear me singing. Wow. Um, but uh, my aunt, um, to give her credit, was um, also because she, although she was Catholic, she would always um, hold like a Bible study in the mornings for us. Um, yeah. Try to do like a, a morning devotion before we all stepped out. Yeah. Um, and then I remember um, her giving me Psalms 91. Right. But as a kid, I mean, I was, uh, you know, God always like takes something. So with me, I was battling with my health. But on the on the brighter side, God gave me uh, intelligence mm -hmm. and um, just made me outspoken. And so I picked up things faster um, in terms of learning. Mm -hmm. And so my 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 aunt, I remember, would give me gave me a Bible and would always open it to Psalms ninety one. Okay. And literally what I would do is every night I would either say my rosary or like open Psalms 91 and put it under my pillow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> not that I was just, not that I was reading it to digest it. I would just open it, put my hand on it, do the sign of the cross on it and just put it under my pillow and then sleep. Right. Um, and then there came to a time in my life that I almost lost my life. Mm -hmm. So I, according to my auntie, I had gone out um that means i'm not i wasn't responsive and i became so anemic that i was admitted in the hospital that was i think i believe in my childhood memory that was the longest day in a hospital that um at that point the seat the city that we're in they needed blood transfusion for me right several units of blood transfusion 
However, like back then in Ghana, the system wasn't set up in a way that I could just get blood transfusion from the hospital. Yeah. We had to go through um, trials, like testing every family member um, to see if they match me and all of that. So they had done all of that, gotten friends and families to like test for uh, a positive match. And they couldn't find one, but my aunt's uh, eldest son was in a different city that was about six hours away in school. Mm -hmm. And so he was the last person that they let come down. And when he got down to the hospital, they um, tested him and he became positive. But at that point, the doctors told my aunt, no, just give up because she's already gone. It's too late type of thing. Wow. So they, they, they basically said she's dead. She's yes, pretty much. But, um, I thank God for, you know, just positioning my aunt, you know, my, my aunt was a a midwife Mm. and we used to take care of patients at my home. So like when people in the community would get sick, they would come to my home and we'd give them medicine and stuff. So my aunt at that point had knew how to put IV on, you know, a patient and, and um, I just thank God for her strength because at that point she stood in strength and she said, no, she's not dead. And I'm going to take this blood and put it on her. So uh-huh. she she stood up and she did the procedure. And uh, I remember in the hospital when I woke up, she was sitting by my bedside and praying. And when I woke up, the first thing I said to her was, oh, you thought I was going to die? Jesus told me I'm going to be a nun, a Catholic nun. And she, I see her laughing and at the same time crying. Um, and, you know, and I see this fear in her eyes because once she's taking care of me, my parents are not there. So it just would be a terrible thing to report to my parent that, look, I lost your daughter. Yeah, yeah. Nobody yeah. wants to give that report. But when no. I, looked, I just saw the brightness in her eye and the excitement and her praising God and at the same time crying oh. and me telling her I'm going to be a nun. <laughs> and she's like, yes, yes, she's going to be a nun. Yes, yes, yes. So then we go, we go back home and up to like the age of 12, my aunt has this thing in her head that I'm going to be a nun. <laughs> um, and because we're so much involved in the church, like she would literally um, tell the, the, which I thought the nun at my church back then, she was very cute, you know? She was petite and cute. So I was, and she was always wearing stilettos. So I was like, oh, I want to be like her, you know? <laughs> yeah. So for the longest, I had my life planned that I, I'm going up to be a nun. Um, never thought that I would be in the United States until, yeah. well, that period, um, before we came to the United States, I had a chance to go to boarding school. Mm-hmm. And in the boarding, I think that's when my transformation started happening a little bit. So in boarding school, I literally had to leave the home and go and, you know, sleep there. Mm-hmm. Um, my aunt didn't like that idea in the first place because how I even got into boarding school, I actually don't know because they were not taking people called sicklers or people that would get sick often into the school. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I, my uncle just managed to get me in. And it was like the fashionable thing to do to go to boarding school. Mm -hmm. So I went to boarding school and I remember when I was there, I, um, there was a scripture union group. Oh yeah. Yes. And it's kind of like a student, a student Bible study group. Yeah. And so the, what we have assignments, like, you know, people that we call like school mothers, 
Mm-hmm. And for those, it's almost kind of like, because I'm a junior, it's someone that automatically took me on to say, you know, I'm going to take care of you um, at the senior level. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to help you grow. And I just so happened to have this school mother in my life. Her name is Emma. She's now in London. So she just took me on like at the moment of entry and she just fell in love with me. But she was the president of the scripture union. Mm, wow so then she drove me in yes and she was also you know it's funny that she was also at home she was also catholic yeah um because we we're growing up under our parents not necessarily you know under our own but in scripture union that's when i actually started reading the bible to understand it and not to perform on stage Right. So initially in Catholics, uh, in the Catholic church, I would just read it just so I could be like the cool kid that can read the Bible, you know? Right. <laughs> but um, <laughs> we actually started studying the Bible. And I remember um, on my on my campus, most, most of the secondary schools, like in Ghana, it's almost like if you're a scripture union, you're like perceived as, you know, the holiest child, um, no sin and the judgmental, you know, person. And so I remember stages in my life in scripture union where people, when people would go for entertainment, I would be, you know, so judgmental and just be like, oh, look, they're going to hell and all of that stuff, you know? So I would be the one judging them. Mm-hmm. And, um, but also in scripture union, it was my first time to be introduced to the prophetics. Yeah. Um, and at that point, I didn't even know that it was called the prophetics. But I remember me um, going to one of the services and they had invited um, a guest speaker. And uh, at some point, you know, we prayed and I had always, I was always a worshiper. So I was in the worship group at Scripture Union. And the lady that was taking care of me also was a worshiper. So Mm. I just thank God for that covering at that point. But um, so just uh, so this guy came in and you know we prayed and you know did services but at the end of services he went into the what i now know as the prophetics and he started casting out demons and i saw oh looks like um winnie has just oh you sorry you just froze there for a second it's probably just the broadband so, um, so we, he started casting out demons and I saw people falling. And then like when people would fall, like some people would like just like blurt out, like, you know, it wouldn't be their voice. Like something would be speaking through them. And I'm standing there and I'm like, oh, that's awkward. Like, what is this? I, I just don't understand it. So at that point, I was like, I don't think I belong here. Like, that's super awkward. And I didn't get <laughs> And then they would always pray for people and they would fall. And then I would go up front and they'll pray for me and I would fall. And I'm like, that's not true. Like, you know, like they're pushing them down. Like I was one of those people like, nah, they're just pushing them down. I, it never happens to me. And so I, I thought maybe I wasn't serving God well or like they're fake, you know? So, um, but my, my, uh, my and it's, good. and it's, it's good to question things, you know? Yeah. So I was, I was, I, I, I growing up, I questioned a lot of things. Anyway, so long story short, um, this lady kept me afloat, um, keeping me in the in the word of God and things like that. And then God made a way for my sisters and I to actually come to United States and join my mother. So we came here um, into the United States and immediately we started high school. We joined my mother 
Now, joining my mother was also a different transition that we have to, all three of us have to go through. And at this rate, it's like there's been separation. So we needed like to learn new adjustment with my mom. And when we joined my mom, my mom wasn't going to church. She was, uh, she's, she's a nurse. She worked as a nurse in the United States. So she was always working. Um, and pretty much also in the United States, she was a single, you know, parent. Um, my dad was out there traveling and working still and was never really like engaged in our life as much as my mom. So my mom was working and when we came here, she wasn't actually going to church. And so my mom's best friend, she would be the one that would go to church and she would invite us to go. And so she would be the one that would. And then I don't know, you know how Texas is. You need a car to go everywhere. Yeah, totally. <laughs> household with one car. Uh, it was kind of difficult for my mom to work a night shift, come home, take us to church and all of that stuff. But there was a neighborhood church. That was a neighborhood Catholic church. So my sisters and I went there and. The first time we walked in, they were speaking Spanish. Oh. And yeah. we didn't understand a word of Spanish. So we're like, okay, this is not where we need to be. And so at that point, we just also started staying home and not even going to church and, oh. and or praying at home. Oh. But this aunt, uh, my mom's best friend, which I call her auntie, she would go to church. And so when, every now and then when she's going to church, she would come and she would take us. But I remember the first time she came to take us. My mom sat three of us down and she goes, look, you guys, I have been in the U.S. for this many years and nobody knows me. Mm -hmm. I don't want you guys to be the one going to church and letting my name out there just because you have done something bad or whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Now, this church that we're going to, it was almost kind of like a community. It was catered to Ghanaians. So majority of the congregation were Guineans, the pastor were Guineans. So people actually went there to socialize. Right. You know, from my perspective now, it was almost more like a, you know, let me get to know the other Guineans that are here in the country. Let me get to mingle with them, you know. And for me, that first day that the woman came and took me to church, I went there and I got, I clicked with two girls that looked like me. Yeah. And so at that point, I was like, yes, I'm going to go to church every Sunday. And all I wanted to do was go to church to meet my friends so I can talk to them and play with them. I was never in church at that point in my teenage years in, um, at church, um, just listening to the word of God. It was all me chit-chatting with my friends, like not paying attention to anything um, <laughs> and um, just pretty much socialized. So I wasn't, yes, I had back then when I was in Ghana, when I joined Scripture Union, for the first time, I had a chance to um, answer to an altar call where I gave my life to Christ, you know, like on my own, not going through the Catholic ritual, but on my own as a non-denominational person, I gave, I call, I made that decision to give my life to Christ. So I, I did an altar call and I gave my life to Christ. Where but was, come, where was this that? Was, this was back in Ghana. In right? Ghana. Okay. Before yeah. I came to US. Okay. And then when I came to church, I mean, when I came to US, and it's almost kind of like my scripture union has been taken from me. You know, the Catholic church has also been taken from me. And now I'm going to this new church. And my only aim is to really socialize with other kids like me um, who also came from Ghana and now we're like best buddies, you know, not really paying attention. 
And when you had that altar call in Ghana, do you believe that you were born again then? Like, did you experience repentance or do you just think you just said, so, it, you just said the words? So I, back then I did experience repentance, but I did, um, I made that confession. I experienced repentance. However, my lifestyle was to judge other people who had not come to the acceptance of Christ. And so for just being in a, 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 in a boarding school, there were other people that would not be in scripture union or, and, or, you know, be in an assembly or have anything to do with God, but they would always go and party. And I would always judge them, you know, <coughs> excuse me. Um, right. Anyway. So when we came back to the U S but uh, although I had accepted Christ, I wasn't, I mean, thanks to my spiritual, you know, covering at school, she was always reading the word to me, mm. you know, and um, like it, it was her Bible studies that I would learn about God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But um, when I came back here to the U.S., when my mom brought us, although I was going to church, I wasn't reading my word. I would, it was almost kind of like I didn't even know Jesus, you know, it mm -hmm. was, yeah, it was kind of like uh, life is, it is what it is. And then. Another thing is I realized that people go like didn't take church here serious, like in the US. So, um, but one thing that I did appreciate about it is it didn't take too much for me to go to church. So back home, the difference is when I'm going to church, I will dress up, you know, look all good and then go to church. But then in the US, I realized, no, I could just wear my jeans and just go to church and call it a day. Like I don't have to do all that extra. Mm -hmm. um, so I was going to this church right before um be like before the middle of my high school but I wasn't really engaged in the word of God I wasn't engaged in any in any ministry and God sent uh, a family from Canada to to Dallas where I live and this family was very involved in church and so the the man in the family decided to host Bible study group what we call cell meetings yeah and so my second year in high school they they were they started like hosting cell meetings and they were rotating homes so my family and my mother's best friend and um three other families were only the five families involved and so we started having those bible studies and i went to a state of shock because my mother for the first time was actually inviting people to come home to study the Bible. And I'm like, oh, this is weird, mom. And she will cook for them. And, you know, like every week we'll make rotation. And so yeah. through that cell meeting, we grew as, you know, like people joined and we grew. And so they um, decided to find a location for us to meet. Right. And that church, um, that church became like, they named it Divine Grace. Right. So... I thank God for opening that door because at that point I went back into worship. Um, for that church, I was one of the first choir member, <laughs> choir member, if I should say it. So I would stay, you know, and I'll worship. And this was before I graduated high school and a few, you know, families joined. So before I left for college, I was fully engaged in the church. I was giving announcements in the church. I was, um, singing in the church you know but i have to be honest um and just to give glory to god i was doing all those things but i was doing it as an empty vessel okay 
I wasn't attributing importance to it. I did not understand, you know, intercede before you mount the pulpit. Um, just, I didn't even understand how to pray for myself. Mm -hmm. um, it was always someone praying over me or when I needed prayer, I would just call someone, can you pray for me? But never really did I actually sit down with the word to like read it, to understand it for myself. Um, at the same time, I was, you know, I guess I was curious about life. Yes, I was getting sick, but I think one part for me was one, I was blaming God for my sickness. Yeah. I was um, not believing, like, I was always like questioning him why he created me this way. And that, yes, though God, you know, blessed me with intelligence and all that, but the only thing people knew about me whether I'm in Ghana, whether I'm in the United States, whether I'm in church, whether I'm outside was, oh, she gets sick a lot. So I just went into a period of time that I just really hated myself for that, you know, and uh, I, I kind of really did take an offense with God on that, that why did you create me this way? And also because of um, the illness, my mom had to pay a lot more attention to me than, you know, she did with my other sisters yeah um and having a younger sister at home i always it was almost kind of like you know siblings always argue we fight yeah. you know but for me in particular i just thought that i had actually maybe my condition had made me taking my sisters she's a baby she's supposed to be getting the most attention in the house right yeah but i thought that my condition has deprived her of that yeah. And I felt that way because every time like we'll get into an argument, um, my sickness will be brought up. Brought, yeah, brought up into my face and it will be almost kind of like, oh, you know, you are evil. You know, you do so much evil. That's why God created you this way, that type of thing. So honestly, like just hearing some of the language that I grew up with, um, I think I harbored a lot of pain in me. Um and also with the church, yes, the church had been there for me and they were always standing in, in prayer for me. But my service to God, yes, I was going to church every day. I was going to Bible studies. I'm always there. But I don't think I was spending a lot, a lot, a lot more time with God to actually sit at the feet of Jesus to actually get to know him. Yeah. I wasn't doing that. And then college came in. And I have to say, up to like college, I had not dated anybody. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and also you met me, so you know, I'm super skinny. Yeah. And for my age, um, I, you know, I hate, I hated myself as a, at a period in time, I hated myself for the way I look. Mm -hmm. um, and I always felt that, you know, other girls had like, you know, other friends had like boyfriends and, you know, they had like relationships and I'm like still like, I have no one. And so when I went to college, it became a period in my life that any man that came to my life, I would just take them. Right. And I didn't really care about their faith. I didn't care if they went to church or not, um, but I'll just take them. And I think I was craving for acceptance so much. Yeah. For relationship. And so I remember one of the, um, the one, the first relationship that I was actually in, um, that I took it serious when I went to college, it became like a, a long distance relationship um, then. And I, I, I was just like, you know, I got into that lifestyle that, okay, 
I wanted a boyfriend so much. So whatever they asked me to do, I would do. Right. And so I just went into that experimental mode. And all this time, too, when I come home, I'll go to church. When I was in college, there was a, a few of my friends that God connected me to that would go to church. And I remember um, one specific guy, <laughs> every time he would come to invite me to go to church, I'd just be like, no, nah, you just go. And I all of a sudden, I went to college and I created this lifestyle that I had nothing to do with God. Right. And, and that was a deceit for myself because when I came home, it was a, I, I was a different person. And it really like made me, you know, the, the part of the Bible that Paul rebuked Peter, that Peter was sitting with the Gentiles, but then when he sees the Jews come in, he will move away from, he will move away from them. And Paul rebuked Peter as being a hypocrite. Mm -hmm. And at that stage of my life, I saw myself that way because when I came home, I was a different person. When I came home, I mounted the pulpit. I took the mic and I started singing. Wow. You know, yeah, like I took the mic, started singing. I got on the stage, started um, you know, giving announcements again, got into the children's ministry, just all church, 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 church. Um, holier than thou, but not really practicing Jesus Christ, not living the Christ-like life. So my short experiment in college um took me a little bit, you know, away from Christ. Mm-hmm. But God always, this is why um, I think I've come to a stage that now I tend to glorify God for, yes, I believe that I'm healed, but I think I, I glorify God for that sickness because even though I was in college and I was trying to experiment with life and try to live what I, I, I you know, I, pres I presumed as normal life, what the world would define as normal life. Oh, get a boyfriend, go date, go clubbing and all that stuff. Even though I tried to do that, every time I would get sick, God will remind me I'm the only person you need. Mm -hmm. So when I went to college, I remember my second semester in college, I got critically ill and I was in the hospital with no family member in the city. So it's about three hours away from Dallas. And um, I got admitted in the hospital and they were like, you need blood transfusion now. And up until that point, my mom had always been with me throughout. Like anytime I am in the hospital, she's always by my bedside. And because she's a nurse, she was always dictating to the doctors what to do and, like, and monitoring me. Good. So I found myself in college and now I'm in the hospital by myself, no friends there. My friends didn't even know at this point because it was an emergency. And I get to the hospital and they're like, you need blood transfusion now. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, no, I'm not taking anything until my mother gets here. And they were like, no, you're going to die. Blah, blah, blah. If you don't take it, you have to take it now. I'm like, no, you're not making any decision until my mom gets here. And so the doctors came to my room. Several of them came to my room and I get my mom here now. And then one of the doctors like, it would be too late. And at that point, I don't know what came over me, but God gave me the word. And I remember saying to the doctor, I'm a child of God. I'm going to live my purpose. I'm not going to die. Man. I'm going to wait for my mother. Wow. They left me. They made me sign a consent because they didn't want to, you know, if anything happened to me, they didn't want to be responsible. Be responsible. And lo and behold, my mother gets there. And they started the transfusion. They started the transfusion. They thought that they had to do it quick. And so I went into what was called fluid overload, which went into my heart and almost gave me like a cardiac arrest. But my mom being there, she was uh, 
because she was a nurse, she noticed that this 85 pounds girl that was in the hospital is now like 120 pounds. And she was like, you're killing my daughter in front of me. So my mom literally screamed at the hospital. And this is my second point of death that I remember. So my mom screamed at the hospital. They all attended to me and um, just did whatever. And now, now I, you know, I regained my consciousness. So that semester, I had to take the semester off and go home. I couldn't finish school. I had to take the, the whole semester off and go home and heal. Mm. And so when I was home, that's when God actually drew me. I went back to the same church. But that's when God actually drew me back and said, you have to give your life to me. Um, you have to rededicate your life to me and sit at my feet. Mm. And I felt the conviction so bad. And so I went into a, a state of repentance. Mm. That time when I came home, my church was holding a baptism. And so, and I had not, because in Catholic church, I was water, you know, sprinkled on me. At that point, I had not done water baptism. So I rededicated my life. And among my peers at the church, we all did the water baptism. Mm -hmm. And that's when I made the decision to start living right for God. But it was a tug of war. I have to say that. Um, mm. It was a tug of war. Um, trying to live the Christ-like life has not been easy on my part. But I wouldn't change anything either. Um, and so I went back to school and God just took me through, although I would get sick every now and then be in the hospital, sometimes had to go and take an exam, you know, right away, like right from the hospital. Um, I was still questioning God. I'm like, why did you create me this way? Why? Like, why, why is everyone living a normal life? And I always have to like juggle these, you know, the health issues and then, you know, school issues and then friends and all this stuff. I'm like, God, why did you make me this way? And so that was when that I actually started spending time in the word of God. And God drew me to the story of the woman with the issue of blood. Mm -hmm. Back in those days, I had heard the story, but I never really paid attention to it. Until God drew me to that story and I read the story for myself, the woman with the issue of blood, um, she was sick for 12 years, and how she pressed in to touch the hem of Jesus's garment. And so at that point in my life, I was asking, I said, God, what does the hem of your garment look like? Mm. Um, is it just a material? Like, show me what the hem of your garment look like. And I wanted so to learn so much more about this woman. I'm like, why did the Bible only gave just like a few verses of her and didn't really expand on you know her healing after it says the word of god says that he received her she received her her healing at that moment mm -hmm. in an instant so i was like god i want this type of healing mm -hmm. i've been going through this pain for so long i want this type of healing so whatever i need to do to touch your hand just help me press in and um as i kept reading the scriptures um, God took me to the other story of the persistent woman that went to the judge for, um, for ruling that she kept knocking at the judge's door and kept visiting the judge, the same judge. And, um, at the end of the day, the judge gave her favor over mm -hmm. whatever she wanted. And so God linked these two for me. And at that point he whispered to me and said, prayer. 
you touch my hem by praying. Mm. And so back then I decided to start learning about what prayer is. Mm. And um, so as soon as I graduated, and I like it that um, when I graduated from college. What did you do in college? I majored in biomedical sciences. So I went into the science and honestly, I think I went to the science because of, well, first of all, my family is a bunch of scientists in my family. There are a lot of doctors and nurses. And then also personally, I just, my personal story drew me into genetics. Right. And so I just wanted to know more about my story. And and I, I remember wanting to be, uh, at some point, wanting to be a doctor so I can heal people, and you know, that, that are like me. And I just realized very quick that I just couldn't battle the school, you know, the, the, the rigors of the medical program and my health. It was at that point, because I was in college, I was getting sick a lot. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so when I graduated, I graduated by a medical science degree. I had applied to get into a graduate program, which is a, uh, to go get my master's. And I remember my mom and my uncles coming to my graduation. And I'm like, I'm going to New York. And they're like, what do you mean you're going to New York? I'm like, yep, I'm going to New York. That's where my graduate school was. And my mom being scared because at this point I hadn't lived, you know, so far away mm-hmm. um, on my own. Yeah. So I'm going to New York. That's where I'm going to do my studies. So I packed my one suitcase and then I was at the school. And then I get to the school and uh, because I was in a graduate, I was in a graduate program, but I was the master's program. And there wasn't New York, the housing in New York is just really not, you know, fun. So getting on-campus housing was really tough. Mm. And so this was a situation that I was having to sublet a lot for the first semester or so. I was subletting almost every month, you know, the first year. And what were you studying in New York? I was studying uh, my master's in public health Okay. With, uh, uh, with epidemiology, so the study of, you know, um, etiology of diseases, um, outbreaks, investigation, like what's going on with the pandemic and, and everything. So that was my field of study, but um, just tracking those cases, you know, that type of thing. So um, I remember when I went to New York, that was the first time that actually God was like, you only have me. Yes, your family is in Dallas, but, and I have no church, but you only have me. I didn't have enough money. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I could only pay my, um, what do you call it, my tuition. And the little bit that came, I had to pay rent or, you know, so I didn't have enough out there. There were times that I was like, I would eat popcorn and drink soda and that would be my meal for the whole day. Mm-hmm. And God, I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful that God put me in that position because he had to strip me of everything that I had define as luxury in my life or and at that point I had to really rely on him there was a point that I had to call a friend and ask for money and this was like my roommate back in college I called my like can you give me money and at that point she didn't even have any for me and I felt so and I wasn't I wasn't the type of person that would just ask you know so when I asked it was like oh wow but you know when I did ask my she didn't see it that way yeah and so I just went into prayer and I said, God, I don't know how you're going to do it. My mom is suffering in Texas. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I know that you're going to provide for me. Amen. Um, 
And then I started reading my word and started trying to understand the word and what it means. And I remember one night I had, I had a sublet, but when someone sub subleased the apartment, there's no furniture in it. Okay. So I had an air mattress. And in that air mattress, like I would just blew it and I just sleep on the floor. And I had my laptop and my books. I was literally in my one suitcase. <laughs> so um, so every night I would um, read my word and go to bed. And I read my word. At this time, too, I was dating a guy in Dallas that in my mind I was going to get married to. So although he wasn't, like I had tried to invite him to church several times and he had denied it. Um, it was a lot of abusive language that came in out of his mouth or whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And yes, I am outspoken. So God also had to train me in that way on how to like, not just speak my mind, but seek the wisdom of God. Yeah. I didn't know how to do that. And it took me a while. I'm still not there yet. And you know, God is still taking me through the process. But anyway, so that night I, I read my Bible. I was going through a lot and I read my Bible and I slept. And I used to, one thing that I've always had, even when I was a kid, was I had a lot of dreams, a lot of dreams that were scary, um, sometimes, you know, terrifying. I um, mean, I didn't know what it means. And I had a, I had a lot of dreams with snakes in them. Mm. And um, like snakes, sometimes they would attack me. Other times I'm playing with them. Um, other times they would be attacking my family and I'll stand in the middle and, you know, start praying but I didn't really like, understand, you know, I don't understand like that realm of, you know, what it means to have dreams like that. And at that particular night, I was, I had a dream that I had visited my home back in, this is my uh, grandfather's house back in Ghana, mm -hmm. where we stayed before we came to the U.S. And in the dream I had visited there and in the center of the house, there was a big pit. Well, it used to be a tree there, but in the dream when I went, the tree had been removed and it was a big hole, a big pit there. And so I went and I stood there and inside the pit was a big python. Yeah. It, it's a dream that I'll never forget, but um, yeah. It a, yeah, it was a big python in the pit. And I am standing there and it's like, I had this out of body experience that I'm falling in the pit. So I am falling in the pit and I'm screaming that, you know, like this Python is coming to get me. I'm falling in the pit. I'm going to be in this pit with this Python. And in the dream, a hand took me out and I felt it so bad. A hand took me out and the voice said, you've been redeemed. You've been redeemed. You've been redeemed. You've been redeemed. And in my dream, I was saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And I woke up. But I was saying thank you, Jesus, so much that my roommate in the other room heard me that she came and said, Winnie, are you okay? And then I was like, oh, no, sorry. I had, you know, I just had a, a horrible nightmare or whatsoever. And so after I had that dream, I was like, I knew I had to seek God at that point. And I couldn't tell anybody. I wasn't the type of person that would call a man of God and just be like, please pray with me. I had this dream. I just wasn't used to doing that. And so I started, I just started seeking God. And then shortly after that dream, I'm sorry, shortly after that dream, um, about a few weeks later, my mom got sick. Mm -hmm. My mother got diagnosed with lung cancer. Mm -hmm. 
And um, my sister had called me and she was like, oh, mom is going to have a procedure. But then it turned out the procedure was removing her lungs because she had lung cancer. And, um, you know, she's a uh, non-smoker. And so I was at that point that hampered on my faith. again. I was like, God, no, like I'm sick. My mom is sick. She's the only person I have in this life. She's sick. And, you know, this thing is going to kill her, blah, blah, blah. Like, why are you doing this to my family? So I lost my faith. I have to be, uh, just be honest. I lost my faith at that point. I was like, are you even real? Show me if you're real. Like, are you real? And so I left school and I came home back to Dallas because my mom was going through treatment, chemotherapy and all that stuff. But I thank God that my, um, God positioned my mom and increased her faith. That when I came, she gave me a word that had always stayed with me from Isaiah um, 4110, that I will hold you by your right hand. I will walk with you and I will not let you go. And so that had been my household, you know, scripture. Hmm. Nice. So God took my mom through this period. And at that point, for about two years, she wasn't working. She had to go through treatment. And there was major lack in the house. Uh, there was major lack. So for me to go back to school, I went back. I managed to go back to school on student loans. But it was limited resources. And God blessed me with a job there. But... Um, at that point, I had no one but to rely on Jesus. Right. Pray for my, intercede for my mother. And so God began to like show me the some of the dreams that I've had about me interceding. And so he put me in a position like, okay, I need you to intercede for your mother. But at the same time, I was doubting the area of, you know, the prophetics whatsoever. And I was also, because of the guy that was in my life, I wasn't living the right lifestyle. He wasn't. A, he wasn't a believer, was he? He wasn't. He wasn't. He he wasn't. He was a Catholic, but he wasn't even going to church. So, and then every time I there was an argument, I would just be the hypocrite, you know, because that was the language that I would receive. And um, so I graduated from my master's program and I came home, and God um, blessed me with a job, and so. I was wishing that I could stay in Dallas and be with my mother, but I wasn't able to. The first place that I received a job was in Houston. So I had to make my way there. Okay. And I went and while I was in Houston, I just, because of the lack in my life, and I always thank God for it, because of the lack in my life, I, um, I just drew, I had no one to go to, but to draw to God and to trust God that God is going to provide. And yes, I didn't have a lot of friends in my life, but I wasn't open. It's like I was creating this lifestyle as seeing everything is okay. But truly, the only person I depended on was God. And back then, while I was in Houston, the apartment that I lived in, um, one of the, the guy that I was actually went to college with that would invite me for Bible studies that I would ignore, mm -hmm. his wife. Mm -hmm. I met his wife and his wife was like, Winnie, I'm going to church here. Come with me. And so they started having the Bible study and uh, Beryl would not know this, but she drew me in into her church and I started, you know, participating and God started speaking to me um, during that time. But at the same time, I had this distraction with this boy, um, you know, in my life that I was going to marry my mindset. I was going to marry not seeking God's face, you know, 
I seen his will in that. Um, and then we went to, we went through a, 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 a terrible breakup that involved, you know, it was so terrible that it, I had, like, first of all, my sister, my younger sister and I had always been in friction. And then also I was in friction with this boy. And it got so bad that um, there was some language that came from my, my younger sister to this boy, pretty much like alluding to the fact that I'm a horrible person. And if he's going to marry me, he should know that he's always going to have problems and all that stuff. So he stood on that, although he was like into his own, you know, secret life, he stood on those words and it was almost kind of like I could never redeem myself. And I was always put on the bad light. But, you know, I thank God that all of that happened. That moment when that happened, I went to a deep depression. I became so depressed and I was living alone in Houston. I became so depressed that I would tell my friends I'm not coming to church, but then I would give them excuses that I'm going to Dallas. Meanwhile, I'm not in Dallas. I'll be in my apartment and I'll just be by myself. I don't want to talk to family members. I don't want to talk to anybody. I wasn't reading my word. I was in a deep state to almost suicidal state because of, you know, not being accepted by either my sister or by, you know, this guy. At the same time though, I had my mom at home who loves me dearly, but I couldn't confide in my mother on certain issues. And um, so after the breakup, honestly, how God orchestrated the breakup, like God has always like had my back and I didn't even see it. But how God orchestrated the breakup, I just, he brought me to the lowest, lowest, lowest point. I thought that I had gone through lowest points in my life before, but at that point, he brought me to the lowest, lowest, lowest points. And I remember one day sitting in my room, I wasn't going to church. And I had been in Houston for almost four years. I had not ever visited Joe Austin's church. So that Sunday, I was so depressed, like thoughts of societal thoughts and all of this stuff. I didn't want to talk to anybody. And they were like, okay. The voice was like, you're going to go to church today. And I didn't know what church to go to. So I just, Joe Olsen's church was like 10 minutes away from me. So I just went. I went and I didn't even know what word was preached there. But I remember when I got out, I was like trying to rush because it's a huge church. I was trying to rush to my car, but then I got stuck in a line and I couldn't make my way. So I, I, I asked, I was like, okay, what is this line for? And they were like, oh, you're gonna meet Joel and Victoria Osteen. And I was like, okay, I might as well stay in the celebrity pastor, so I might as well stay in and just meet them. So I stood then and um, they came through and um, just pretty much shook my hand. But then the wife, Victoria, stood by me and she's like, well, young woman, I need to pray for you. So she prayed for me. And then in her prayer, she said, God is going to remove certain people from your life. And you have to be ready for it. So when I came home, literally two days later, the boy that I was supposed to marry just got out of my life. And I found myself in that state that for the first time I had to confide in my mother. So I called, I'm in Houston, I called my mother and I'm crying on the phone. My mom's thinking, oh my gosh, she's gonna kill herself, that type of ordeal. Um, and so she stays on the phone all night with me. 
and started praying for me. The beauty of having like a praying woman at home. So she started praying for me. And I came at peace. And at that point, my Bible, I was like, okay, God, I'm going to take this word. And I'm just going to delve in. But I need you to speak to me. Like, teach me your word. And so he started doing that. And um, I would come home to visit. But this time when I came, the church that I was going to, the one that started from the home, that now is bigger, I'll come and I'll go to the church and I wouldn't want to do anything. I wouldn't want to get on the stage to sing. I wouldn't want to get on the announcement to you know do announcement. And they were kind of pushing me to do it, right? Like they would ask me, Winnie, do it, do it, you know, go back and do it. But that point in my life, God was taking me through a stage where he was like, I don't want you to do this for show. I want you to do it so you know the depths of me. And so I wouldn't do it. I quit church for almost four or five years. And when I would go to church, I would go to church as in, oh, someone is having a wedding or there was a, an event in church and I'm just going there to eat. But I quit church. But what God didn't let me quit on was his word. So I didn't, I didn't depart from Christ. I just quit church because God was taking me through a period where he needed to show me how to worship and how to worship, worship him deeply. Mm. And one of the scriptures that came to mind that convicted me was when God spoke to the church um, in the book of Revelation, when God spoke to the church of um, the, I think it's called the Laodicea, and I'm going to read it if you don't mind. Sure, yeah. But in that, it's a Revelations, um, this was my conviction. It was Revelations 3. 14 says to the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? These are the words of the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the rulers of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, Neither, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. And that phrase, I'm about to spit you out of, of my mouth, got me to pause and for me to reanalyze my life. Hmm. That God, yes, you know my deeds. I serve a church. I give. I do good deeds, all that stuff. But God is telling me here, that's not enough. I need to know you're standing with me or you're not. You have to pick a side because I can't go and live this lifestyle outside and then come to the church and pray a holy prayer and then think that I'm saved. Mm. My salvation is more than my deeds. I need to, I need it. God had to take me through a period where I actually understood salvation, the sacrifice that he made on the cross for me, that he went in not thinking about it twice. He went in not, 
not, not just standing for me that I'm going to go in, I'm going to share my life. I'm going to sacrifice it for you. No doubt about that. And here I am one day, I'm like, okay, I think I want to serve you. The next day I'm like, with the least problem, I think, no, I don't want to serve you, you know, but God is like, no, I'm going to spit you out. You don't belong. And then when you go on to the 17, it says, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Gold refined in the fire. So I had to like analyze my life and see everything that I had made as an idol. And I had to tell you, I need to be very honest. Just growing up, like in my family, yes, I was very, I think God gave me a gift of the mouth. Like I speak, you know, you, do. But, you know, I speak like I have a voice, Yeah. but I will use my voice anyhow. And I will get into any arguments. Like I'll make sure I argue to the point of winning, you know, yeah. um, and I would just like, I'll spit out, like I had an opinion on everything. And also with my educational background and the career that I have, I think I got to a stage that I felt like, okay, I got it all figured out. Mm. You know, I can take the couple of trips that I want. I could buy, you know, whatever designer bag that I want. Like, like I'm set, you know, mm. like I'm on my own. I'm set. Like, what do I need God for? And unfortunately, I also saw people in my circle thinking the same way. And I was like, God had to like really check me on this word and say, no, that is not it. Like I am pitiful. I'm poor. Like I'm blind. All those things cannot save me. Mm -hmm. I can't rely on those things. Um, and then, so I have to question my life and start identifying everything that I have made an idol. Mm -hmm. Yes. And God, and then I heard God saying, lay down your idols. Right. Lay them, lay down your idols. Yeah. Your stupid education, put them down. Your stupid trips or whatever you think that makes you winny, put them down. So those five years that I wasn't, like, I'll go to church, I'll show up. And then I remember they would always say, Winnie, come back to the choir, come back to the choir. And I wouldn't. And they didn't understand why I wouldn't, because God was taking me through that period that at that point, I said, God, if you take me back to the pulpit and I worship, I don't want people to see Winnie because it's just been Winnie Winnie. Like it's like it's it's it was so hard for me to like worship, and I'm thinking, oh gosh, I've given my heart to God, and then I get off the pulpit, and the first thing someone would say, oh wow, your dress is cute, and it hurt me so bad because I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, didn't you get anything else? Did you go to the presence of God while I was worshiping? Mm -hmm. um, it's like, I, I would rather have you tell me, you know, God really moved than, but not the other things, the external things. So I was just searching for deeper. So I took myself out of the pulpit. I took myself out of any, all the church activities, but in my room, in my room. And I have to tell you this, at that time, I wasn't even speaking in tongues. Right. Yeah. Explain how you got the baptism of the Holy Spirit at some stage. Yes. So in my room, God is, was teaching me how to worship. He was taking me through his word and asking me to lay down my idols and more so my pride. 
Mm. Um, and I had a lot of that. I had a lot of ego. I would argue my mom. I would argue my sisters. I would insult people. And God was teaching me how to lay down my pride. And it had to start in my home. That I had to start getting along with people in my own household. Mm -hmm. And so then he was like, you got to, I don't care what they've done to you. You still have to respect your older sister. You have to give reverence, you know, to your younger sister, irrespective of what he's, she's done. And so I went through a period that I found myself constantly apologizing and asking for forgiveness for my sister, especially my younger sister, because I knew where God was taking my heart. And until he got rid of all of that stuff, I can't fully give myself to him. And then he took me through, you know, his, what being Christ-like looked like. It said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Right. So I had to understand the level of love for me to give, the level of Jesus's love for me to give. So in my room, Yes, he brought like other ministers and I would stream online, but I didn't want anything to do with the church. One, because it was a label. Um, I, felt, I felt that at some point, I felt that when I went to church and there was any form of prayer, it only came up to the point that we only need prayer for, for, for healing. Mm. But after God took me through that, um, knowing the woman with the issue of blood, I started by and by believing that I'm healed. And the reason why I wanted to know more of that woman's story was yes, he received healing. But when was the manifestation of it? Was the manifestation instant as well? And so I just kept asking Jesus, like, I believe in my heart that I have received your healing, mm -hmm. but I want it to manifest in mm -hmm. the physical. Mm -hmm. And so through that, when I was seeking Christ, he was showing me all the things to lay down, all the things to lay down. And yes, it has not been easy because I could be on a good progress, but then when I would get sick, and I, I, I like I, I described, my sickness causes a lot of pain. So it'll be a lot of pain in my joints, like I can't move. And majority of times when I'm in crisis, I'm screaming on top of my voice, crying. And so when I go into that mode, I would just start like cursing everyone out I was, I, I would even curse God out, you know, like, like I would just go into that mode and God had to like, and I'm still not there yet. You know, God is still taking me through that process that, you know what, even in that pain, that severe pain, I want you to remember that I'm there mm. and I want you to keep claiming your healing. Mm. So I didn't want anything to do with the church because I didn't, I, I was tired of them praying for me for healing. Like mm -hmm. I was literally tired that I thought that the church felt like there was no other need in my life but healing. Mm -hmm. And God has taken me to a place where it's like, okay, I've healed you. I need you to believe in faith that I've healed mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. And so for me to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, I have to also give credit. Um, one of the guys um, that uh, was very influential in my life, um, he passed away in 2016. Hmm. And him and I would used to travel like he was a man of the word. So he would teach me the word um, and I could see his hunger mm -hmm. and he was mm -hmm. literally on fire on a good path, you know, and then he passed away. And I remember I don't like funerals, but I remember that's like 
one of two funerals or three funerals that I had been in my life. And I remember being at that funeral, just sensing, knowing that everybody that stood up to speak about this guy, it wasn't a made up story like mm. other funerals. Mm. It was just a reflection of his lifestyle and of his life for God, of his love for God. Mm. And when I got out of that funeral, 2016, it hurt me so bad that at that point I started analyzing my life. I said, Jesus, help me get to the point that heaven is an option for me. It's, a, it's not even an option. It's a must for me that from what I've witnessed at this funeral, I want my lifestyle change. Mm -hmm. I want to have a better place in heaven. That was the first time I actually became kingdom. Like I started developing the heaven mindset that I want to go to heaven and whatever I need to do on this earth to make it to the door of heaven, I have to do it. And if that means me surrounding, um, surrounding myself totally to Christ, then I have to, I'll have to take it and pay whatever cost, whatever it will cost me to go to heaven. So God began to like, just show me his word and taking me through scriptures and scriptures and scriptures and developing me and also connecting me to, you know, people as when I met, how I met you was just me seeking on my own. I had not entered a church yet. And at that point, one day I was see my room and I love to worship. So he was dealing with me laying down the idols. And one point, at one time, I remember being in my room and just worshiping. I wasn't going to church. I was just worshiping, getting into deep worship and um, reading my word. And in the midst of worship, I started speaking in the, in, um, I got the baptism. I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay. So you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit at home on your own. At home on my own, yes. Worshiping and being in the word and being in the word and it was deep. I remember it was like almost like eight hours. My mom was working at night. Um, it was just me in the house and it's just almost eight hours. I was just lying down and just in, and I didn't know, I was like, wow. Like I woke up and I was like, thank you, Jesus. But I didn't have the boldness to, to, to speak it in public. And so when I would go to church and they say, speaking in the, in the, you know, they start praying. I would always hide myself in the corner and not really show the manifestation of it. Um, and then God brought me out of that. Um, so he connected me to other women and men of God who were spirit-filled and who were helping me develop, you know, bring mm -hmm. that out. But I'm mm -hmm. at a stage in my life that I'm like, God, heaven must be home for me. I cannot, like I, I believe heaven and hell is real but I cannot not make it into those doors. With all the sufferings that I have gone through on this earth, if heaven is real, I want to be there. Mm -hmm. So I really, one time, I saw, at some point I started talking to my friends and I'll, I'll make a message to other professionals out there because I think our generation, you know, people in our generation, especially when we've, we've attained a certain professional level, we feel that we have it together. And so we just put God on the side. He's no longer, we don't need him for anything. And we'll go to the point that we would argue on the on the realness of heaven and hell. 
And so my message to them is, what do you have to lose? You accept Jesus Christ, try to live the Christ-like life and have your final destination of heaven. What do you have to lose? When you die and there's no heaven, you have not lost anything. But would you rather die and find out that there's heaven and there's a hell and then know that you're going to hell because you didn't live right? You don't have anything to lose. So why don't you just make the decision now to say, I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to try to walk the Christ-like um, you know, life on this earth. Accept Jesus Christ. Accept the true salvation, the true love that cannot be replaced by anything, cannot be replaced by your intelligence, cannot be replaced by your, um, you know, um, what do you call it? Wealth cannot be replaced by your resources. Like it just can't be replaced. You can't replace that. Can, cannot be replaced by your relationship or your, you know, children. Like it cannot replace that. When you die, you're going on your own. And even if you don't die and God comes, as rapture comes, at the end of the day, you're going to the judgment seat by yourself. Right. You're not going with anyone. Right. So God has to bring me to that, that um, conviction that I had to start thinking more of heaven, more than anything that I want on this earth. Mm -hmm. That if God says, this is it, where am I going? I want to be there with you. I want to sit in your presence. I want to worship you eternally. I want to have that eternal life that you have promised me. And until I live my life here, when we, when we say the lost prayer on earth as it is in heaven, Right. When I live my life here on earth as I'm living in heaven, when I'm showing that Christ-like love to other people that I meet, when I when I try to like to walk like Jesus walked, when I try to develop the fruit of the spirit that is in me, that fruit of patience, that fruit of love, that fruit of self, um, what do you call it? Um, give, give me some of the names. Um, Self-control. Control, yes, self-control was another thing that God had to break, you know, for me. And I have to say, when I when God connected me to other leaders of the word, you know, and in, in, in the church, I had to come to a point that I had to be delivered from certain sins in my life, like sexual immorality, um, promiscuity, you know, like those things in my life, my anger. You know, he's still working on me, okay? I'm not perfect yet, but but I had to come to like, act for deliverance on some of these things mm -hmm. and also break like some of the dreams that i had you know mm. attributing it to generations yeah and also yeah. because i i didn't share this but because i used to get sick a lot in ghana yes although we were in the catholic church my aunt also did the, take, take me i was a child so i had no say you know in those in those things but like i remember scenarios where she had taken me to other things that the other people that were not godly. So like like fetish, witch doctors or something. Like, like fetish priests and all that, you know, to seek for healing for me. Mm. And I was, I was young. It wasn't my mother that was doing it. But I vividly remember those areas. And every now and then as I came to Christ and I grew, I'm growing in my walk with Christ. I vividly remember some of those areas that I had to stand in warfare and take myself out of it because no one is going to do it for me. I don't, I can't, I don't have directions to go to those areas, you know, but I had to stand in prayer and when no prayer can move mountains. So I had to stand, learn how to pray, 
I'm still learning how to pray. I'm still learning how to warfare. You know, it's a daily, I mean, it's a, God is just take daily growing me. And I just ask that he never stops. Yeah. He never stops until he finds me because at the end of the day, I will want to hear his words, good and faithful servant. Yeah. I don't think I'm there yet. I don't yeah. think I'm you know, I think I have a long way to go. Good and faithful servant. Uh, Winnie, I, I really think you're you're very much speaking to backsliders in the church. From what I'm picking up in my spirit, you're you're really speaking to backsliders because, um, I mean, mo, mo, not everybody has backslidden in their life. I have, and many other people have, but some Christians haven't. But and and that's wonderful, and that's the way it should be. But uh, you are very much speaking to backsliding Christians who think. They're going, you know, uh, they, they think no problem, uh, grace will cover everything and it doesn't, you know. No, it doesn't, no. Our, our relationship with the Father is a lot deeper than just grace. Yeah. The sacrifice that he made is a lot, huh, I don't even know how to, dis the weight of it, I can't describe the weight of it, but it's a, mm -hmm. it, it's far beyond just, you know, the grace. Yeah. And if you understand that level of sacrifice, grace should not make you retrieve back to sin. It shouldn't. Yeah, because there should be holding it. Should, should. Yeah, you should be holding it, and you should want to keep that grace in your life. Like you should, but it shouldn't. It shouldn't be back and forth. And so, I mean, I thank God that He's taking me back and forth. But but now He's positioning me daily to yeah. know that He's the only person that I yeah. have. Yeah. There's no going back. Yeah. So He He took idolatry. I mean, He He asked you to repent for idolatry. I'm yes picking up on. Um. Well, the last time we spoke was about, or we met was about two years ago. You were then on the worship, you were then on in a church and worshiping. Am I right about that? Yes. So, so you did yes, go back to worship. I was in the church. Yeah. I was yeah. Not, not in the church that we're in now. Now I do go to the church that you met me at. And yeah. I am the worship team. But, you know, I am um, <laughs> the old church that I was in, it took, it took a while for them to get me on stage. Mm -hmm. Because I was nervous. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know how it was going to feel like. But I thank God that he opened that window for me because it became about him and not about me. And when I left that church um, in 2000, last year, God placed me at this church that you met me at. Trinity. Is that what yes, it's called? Trinity. Trinity. Yes, Trinity. Yes. And um, I remember when I went to the church, I asked God to confirm it because I was like, okay, I am like, I want you to plant me in a place where I can see continual growth yeah. and also birth my calling out of that, you know, mm. place. So I went, it was Easter and I'll share this testimony. It was Easter last year. I had come, actually, when I met you, remember I was going to Israel. Mm -hmm, and yeah. honestly, yeah. when I met you, I was, I was doubting if I wanted to go to Israel. Like at that point, I had not even made up my mind. I was paying towards it. But I wanted to back out of the trip. And then I met you and you got my excitement back right away. So I remember calling, I remember calling my uh, the, the lady that I was going with, and I was like, I just met this you know lady from Ireland. She's been to Israel four times. She met Cynthia Cubs there. And I was like, Yes, I guess we're doing this. And that was my third my third chance to go to Israel. Yeah. And so when I met you, it was like another confirmation for me to go. So when I came back from Israel, I had no church to go to. You know, um, I had no church to go to, and that Easter Sunday, I remember when I when I went to Israel and I went to pray at the Wailing Wall. One of the things that God gave me was, you can't go back and not go to church. 
He said, I have delivered you from those times that you weren't going to church. I am done with preparing you internally. I need you to get out there. And so when I came within two months, I still hadn't found a church to go to. And I was torn because I was like, I don't want to go and sacrifice, you know, and, and lose a church again. It was hard. It was very hard. So I prayed about it. And I remember Easter Sunday, um, the Sunday of uh, Passover. I don't call it Easter. I call it Passover, you know. But um, that Passover Sunday, I was in, I work at night sometimes um, on the weekend. So I would see my car and I would go to my car and pray like in between the hours of 12 and and three, um, 12 midnight and three. And I was praying, I was crying out to God. I just felt myself so weary and God was like, go to Trinity. So that was the first Sunday that I went to Trinity for church. And I went early. I sat, literally left the lab straight in my work clothes to Trinity. And I went early and I sat up front and there was this lady sitting next to me. We went through worship and all that. And just, you know, worshiping God as to this. And at the end of services, the lady came and said, woman of God, I heard you worshiping. I saw angels and God wants you in the choir. And so that very day, God confirmed it for me that I belong. Wonderful. Yeah. So I, I, I know it's just, just so, I mean, I'm grateful because even all those times that I've disobeyed him so bad, mm -hmm. you know, that I fought with him. Um, I, one of the questions as I, as he's taking me through one of the ministries that he's giving me is a healing ministry. Mm -hmm. And I'm just praying that he will grow me in it, you know, mm -hmm. prior to manifest in the near future. But, um, one of the scriptures that he gave me was like, it's like when I was, when, when the disciples, there was a blind man in the Bible, I think it was in the book of John, John nine, when you read it, the blind man that the disciples saw, the disciples were walking with Jesus and the disciples asked Jesus, who has sinned? Mm -hmm. Is it him or mm -hmm. his parents? Mm -hmm. And for the longest time, I went afraid. I went through those questions of God. Is it my sins? Is it my many sins? So every time I'm getting pain, I think I did something wrong. And then mm -hmm. I go into self-pity, self self-blame, not thinking that I'm not good enough. And, you know, but then... Jesus' response was, so that the glory of God will be known. Yeah. So since then, I have taken that word and I said, God, whatever pain you've given me, I believe that you've healed me. Yes, it might not have manifest physically, and in due time, it will manifest in the physical. Amen. But I believe that your glory, it, it would be for your glory. It will be for a higher glory. Amen. Alone, just to see your glory manifest for that Amen. alone worship you for that alone i will serve you for that alone for that testimony to come out you are my only source and resource you are mm -hmm. my jehovah rapha you are my everything amen. amen and i look forward to hearing the day that you go back to the doctor and it's an all clear from the doctor on sickle cell isn't it um yeah. you know god's going to do it it's just a matter of timing yes 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 and i believe it and i believe it um and you're, you're you're still a young and i'm sorry you're still a young and you've lots of oh. life in you he oh. <laughs> <laughs> was the glory of god <laughs> well that's a wonderful testimony winnie and thank you for sharing it all and um you know it, it, it's it's 
you know, I always say a lot of the time, everybody has their trials. And I do believe children that have sickness and illness when they're younger usually have a very high call on their lives. I've noticed this so many times over and over again. The devil tries to kill, steal and destroy. Um, and often children who have a lot, had a lot of illnesses thrown on them, uh, it's demonic attacks, basically. Um, so praise God that you came through all of that, all the way from Ghana then to Texas and, and where you're based now. It's wonderful. Um, anything else you'd like to say just before we? Yes. So um, I guess, you know, if there's anyone out there who, one, who has not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, I want you to know that the word of God says that when you accept him, you will not perish. Like there will not be a lack. You will not, he will not, you will not accept Christ and he, for him to put shame on you. That's not, it's, it, it's not an option. When you accept him, you will not perish. So I want you, if you have not made that call to accept Jesus Christ and to be heaven conscious, I want you to just give him your heart and know that it's, the, it's like the biggest gift that you can ever receive from any human, you know, from any, anything on earth that you're looking for. And it's the one thing that will give you the most peace. There is so much peace in knowing that your final destination will be heaven if you accept the salvation that Christ has for you. And also to those that are in the church who, you know, think that they have accepted Christ in their life, but they're not living, walking the Christ-like walk and are growing their spirit being and growing to the point that they can hear from the Holy Spirit and could hear God speak to them and walk with them. I want you to really, really come down to a point of repentance and rededication. Repentance, repent from everything, lay down every idol, lay down everything that you could be a worshiper, you could be a pastor, you could be a leader, but analyze your life again and lay down every idol, surrender everything that is not Christ-like and just commit your life to Christ again. Surrender all of it to him. And just make that decision that lukewarmness is not a part of our walk with Christ. He said he will spit you out. And the word of God is true. He will spit. Don't, don't, yes, we say that God is just God and he's forgiving. Yes, he's forgiving. But his word is true and his mm -hmm. word is solid. Mm -hmm. When he says, I will spit you up, you have no business in my kingdom. I do not know you. Mm -hmm. that would be the worst thing to hear in the last day when you know that you have been in the church you have served god you have given your money you have preached to other people but you're not making it right that would be the worst it would be the most painful thing that you ever have to go through right. so right now just analyze your walk with christ and if there's nothing if there's stuff that's not in alignment with the word of god just correct it Right. He is, he's so forgiving. He would accept you fully again and give you chances again to get it right with him. And I want you to make that, make it urgent that the time is now. Look at everything that we've gone through this year. 
if that doesn't tell you enough, that time is now. We can't mm -hmm. wait any longer. The time mm -hmm. is now to delve into your word. The time is now to sit at the feet of Jesus. The time is now to seek him and seek him diligently with all your being and with all your soul, like with everything in you. The time is now to be heaven conscious and to be kingdom conscious. You don't want to miss out. And the last people that I want to speak to is if there's anyone out there who has been battling with any form of chronic diseases, genetic diseases, whatever diseases that the world has given a name to, know that your healer is Christ. He is mm -hmm. your Jehovah Rapha. He mm -hmm. said that I would heal you by his stripes you were healed. Take that word and always claim it on your life and take your communion and your and, and your communion in faith knowing that you have received the healing, the full healing, healing of Christ Jesus. That's all I have to say. Amen. That's beautiful. Amen. Wonderful. Great advice. Fantastic advice for people who are in the church and, um, yeah, maybe not living as they should be living. And God will spew you out. Uh, he makes, he, you're right. He makes it very clear in his word. Winnie, would you just finish off with a, a prayer? Um, whatever, yes. if you feel led to pray, that is. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. I'll just put you on camera there. Yeah. Forever. Or I'll stay in camera. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, Lord, I just want to thank you for this opportunity, Lord. I thank you for my sister Sierra, Lord, that you have given this plat heard this platform, Lord, to bring people to your kingdom. Lord, I bless her life, Lord, mighty Father. And I ask that you would increase the vision that is on her life right now, Lord. That you would touch it, Lord, my Father. And you would give her the topics, Lord, my Father, to bring out, Lord. That even as we have been able to share our testimony, Lord, I ask that if there's anyone that's that's watching who does not know you, that they will begin to develop a deeper level to, to yearn for you and to yearn for Christ, Lord, that it will begin. Yep. And if there's anyone in the church who does, who is worshiping you, but like being religious about it, Lord, I ask the Lord, after you will bring your conviction on them, Lord, that they will make that conscious decision to give their life fully to you, Lord, and to worship you in truth, in, in spirit and in truth, Holy Spirit. Lord, I ask them after that we would, you will prepare us for your kingdom, that you will prepare us for heaven, Holy Spirit, that even as we continue to walk, Lord, I ask that you help us fulfill our calling on this earth before you call us home, Holy Spirit. Lord, I ask that we will never miss anything that you are trying to tell us in this season, Lord. And so if there's anyone out there who has never accepted you, Lord, I just want you to place them in the right place if through this broadcast, Holy Spirit, I ask that they, you will convict them, that they will come to accept you. But Lord, my Father, even if they're not watching this broadcast and they're out there in the world, Lord, I ask that you would order their steps to the right people, Lord, my Father, so they can be called into your kingdom, Lord, that they can be drawn into your kingdom, Lord, and that they will dedicate their life to serve you and you alone, knowing that you are the best gift that we can ever have, knowing that your salvation for us is the best love that we can ever have in the name of Jesus. I give you all the praise and I give you all the honor. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Winnie. Thank you, Sierra. <laughs> That was lovely. Thank you so much. And there's a lot in that. There's a lot of uh, stuff in there for people. Um, so um, we we praise God for your life and your testimony and uh, for what he's going to do in the future in your life. And we really thank God that you're back on stage. <laughs> I thank God too, for just for his glory. Yes. Amen. And um, he's going to use your, 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 your gifts uh, for his glory. Yeah, he's already using them. Yeah. Amen. All right. Thank you, Bless you. Thank you, you for the work that you're doing. No problem. All right. God bless you. Have a have a have a good evening. And um I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Yes, yes, yes. All right, love you. All right, I'll say goodbye for now. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Yeah. 
So, folks, that was Winnie from uh, Texas in USA, originally brought up in Ghana, who uh, shared her testimony there. And she has um, been born with a disease called sickle cell, which um, has caused her great pain in her life. Uh, she is claiming the healing uh, from Jesus. Um, and uh, she she is she, you know, she, she th that that will manifest at the right time. Um, she's giving God the glory. She's now a worship leader. And um, she um, had to go a lot through a lot of things in her life. There was a lot of backsliding there where the Lord pulled her back and um you know uh, she 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 is now uh, very uh, strong with the lord and spends a lot of time in his presence and uh, we thank god for her life and for her for her uh for her worship uh gift a gift of worship that she uses now in a church there in texas and uh, we praise god for her life so um there'll be more testimonies like this coming soon i hope you're enjoying them um please share them and um uh yeah i hope you're enjoying them and um i'll just say goodbye shalom for today and we'll talk again soon god bless you bye bye now. bye bye